Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here with you. If I don't sound like myself, it's because a few days ago as I was teaching, I began losing my voice and then I kind of came down with something. But I'm getting better. I'm feeling much better right now. So I'm excited to be with you guys. So please bear with me with the raspiness of my voice. Maybe I sound pretty cool. I don't know. But today I'm excited because we're going to be talking about hanging out with losers. Now, you may think, hey, man, that's right up my alley. But you know what? You're in good company because as we're going to be looking at the synoptic gospels today and our continual study through the gospels in chronological order, that's what Jesus made his ministry about was healing the sick, being with people that were rejects. And we've talked about that throughout the course of our teaching thus far, when Jesus interacted with people and how he touched people like last podcast, if you missed last time, we were talking about this relentless faith, this determination from a leper. Jesus didn't just speak to a leper. He touched a leper, which you just didn't do back then. And not only that, but as Jesus taught, he forgave a paralyzed man's sin as he interrupted a sermon that Jesus was given. And and most commentaries, and I, I tend to believe this too, that house that they they tore the roof off to lower their friend was Peter's house. You know, could, so you could just imagine the situation. And yet, despite all that they were going through, uh, Jesus in great love extended himself, forgave the sins of that man, and healed him. So if you missed that, check that out. Go to standstrongministries.org. Again, we are on SoundCloud. We are on iTunes. So just punch in Stand Strong in the Word. And remember, we also have my notes available. So it's a great Bible study for you to do with your family, with some friends. So take advantage of these resources. I do pray that they are a blessing to you. So let's hit it. Let's jump right now to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look also at Mark chapter 2 and look at Luke 5, verses 27 through 28. And this one is the call of Matthew. Remember, Matthew, the tax collector. So in Matthew chapter 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And Matthew rose and he followed him. Now notice little differences that Mark, or a little bit, I should say not differences, but more detail that Mark and Luke offer. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it says, He went out again beside the sea, and the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So that gives us great perspective that as Jesus was passing through, and there was Matthew, the tax collector, there was a crowd of people around Jesus, and he was teaching them. And in the midst of his teaching, he calls Matthew. Now notice in Mark chapter 2, verse 14, he refers to Matthew as Levi, the son of Alphaeus, who was sitting at a tax booth. Okay, and he says, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. In Luke 5, verse 27, it refers to Levi as the tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And notice in verse 28, it says, and leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. Now, my friends, when I read something like that, especially in the culture that we live in today, matter of fact, I just had breakfast yesterday with a good friend of mine who is all in and and going into politics full time. And so he's leaving a very prominent ministry that he's been involved in for many years in a church. And I told him afterwards that I just, you know, I honor his decision. I'm praying for him that he'll do well. But I just love the fact that you know, he and his wife believe this is what God has called them to do. And if that's the case, then he needs to trust the Lord and and not be comfortable 
and not kind of double dip. He needs to be all in. And he's literally in many ways leaving a lot to do what he's doing now. Well, in this case with Matthew, he's literally leaving everything to follow Jesus. So, so far, Jesus is showing the people how different, okay, he is. If you've been following the podcast, you've been seeing the approach that Jesus takes with people is completely different than the religious leaders. Again, as I mentioned, he's willing to touch a leper. He casts out demons in the synagogues, and he calls the most despised in his day to come and serve alongside of him. Now, Matthew or or Levi uh, was a traitor. You see, a Jew who sold himself to the Romans for profit, literally for gain, and oversaw his district to to tax his people, was not only despised by his people, but many of them attempted to try to rid themselves from these tax collectors or kill them. So in this terminology, by the way, that's used in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, beside the sea, it's quite possible, get this, that Matthew's tax office was their enforcer on the fishermen in Capernaum. So, you know, we always carry this idea, like a lot of the sermons just kind of, hey, you know, you got this guy who's an oddball. You know, just like Judas Iscariot, who was double dipping, you know, he was stealing from the chess box, you know, from the the money that was given to their ministry. And he's the one eventually betrays, you know, Jesus. So he was a deceiver, a liar, and ultimately a betrayer. But when we think of Matthew, we, we know he's a traitor and he was a tax collector and wasn't probably liked by the rest of them. But this terminology that says beside the sea, it's quite possible that Matthew's tax office was in fact the one that was taxing the disciples themselves. So pretty sure based on what's happening here and the location of where Matthew was at, that he was the guy that was taxing people like Peter and John and Andrew and all those guys. Could you imagine that? So it kind of puts things in perspectives. Now, remember, the Romans awarded the contract to the highest bidders. So it was very common because of the competition, what was happening. The Romans had a high tax. And so for these tax collectors to survive themselves, they would charge more uh, in in certain territories. So they would take a, a percentage of that tax and what they had to give to the Romans. So Matthew was certainly hated, no question. No one liked the man, uh, particularly, as I mentioned, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, guys like that. So the other thing that's fascinating, though, when we do look at the scope and sequence of the life of Matthew, the tax collector, you know, really is an unlikely character to be a disciple. You know, you really kind of scratch your head. Uh, No doubt, uh, smart, intelligent, um, but being witty and being cunning and crafty the way that tax collectors were and very with brute force, you know, hey, you don't deliver. They would confiscate people's property and people would get beat up and people would be jailed when they didn't pay the tax. Those are type of things that um, Matthew, Matthew was a part of. So Jesus calling him in the midst of his teaching as crowds followed him, that was a picture of, of just beautiful grace, if you will. I mean, so just when you take a snapshot of that calling and for him to leave all of that, it also shows you that there was something stirring in Matthew's heart when Jesus called him. So when he said those words, follow me, calling a tax collector to come to his side, Jesus was showing him that he had the power to forgive of his, of his sins and to transform his lives. And the neat thing was that Matthew listened. He heeded that. And it wasn't just that he left earthly things, but he realized the earthly things and the damage he had done in the lives of people 
wasn't worth it anymore. And to follow a life like Jesus and to learn at his feet was everything. So leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. That's amazing. He goes, because really, if you look at it, he goes from a life of wealth and probably out of all the disciples was probably the wealthiest of them, you know, that followed him for the three and a half years. And, and just think about the liberation that he began to feel uh, and seeing the guilt and the shame just go away and to be reconciled to Jesus. And also through that, to be reconciled with the people that he had offended and he had, you know, stolen from basically. So that's a great picture that we see with the call of Matthew. Now, the second thing we see in the flow in the chronological order of the Gospels now, as we look at things in Matthew 9, 10 through 13, Mark chapter 2, 15 through 17, and Luke 5, 29 through 32, is now Jesus dines with sinners. So he calls a traitor to come to him, you know, to come to his side, to come to be a part of what he's doing. And then we see shortly after he is dining with sinners. Now I'm going to be jumping around with some of the synoptics to kind of get perspective here. In Luke 5, verse 29, it says, In Levi made him a great feast in his house. So even though right there in the previous passage, it says that he left everything and it was not technically like he just abandoned everything and he followed Jesus. What he was saying literally is that he left that lifestyle. And eventually we can tell that much of his wealth after this feast probably goes away. He doesn't care much about it. He's all in with Jesus. So here he puts on this big feast. And then we jump to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. It says, And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now, if you jump to Mark chapter 2, at the very end of verse 15, it mentions that these people, tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house, Matthew's house, that were reclining with Jesus, having a meal, it says that many were following him. So that puts things in perspective beyond just Matthew and Peter and Andrew and James and John and others that were that were actually his disciples. There were many tax collectors and sinners that were now following Jesus. And then going back to Matthew 9, verse 11, it says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, when Jesus heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, real quickly, as I before I add some commentary to what's happening here in this passage in these passages of scripture, in Mark chapter 2, verse 16, it mentions that there were not just Pharisees that were there, but scribes of the Pharisees. So again, these were the heavy hitters that were there at this dinner trying to make sense what Jesus was doing. And notice the question they posed here, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, here, if you put this in perspective and just think about our lives, think about a group of people politically or a certain lifestyle that you don't associate with, that you believe is a sin and inviting them over to a big meal and reclining with them you know, being face to face with them, dipping your food together and sharing, you know, sauces and, and, and other, and bread and breaking bread with them. Think about how that would look to some of your friends, maybe at church. So you could kind of understand even in our culture today, um, this would blow people's minds. And, and quite frankly, in, in the work that I do often in ministry, 
you will find me um, hanging out with people that I don't agree politically with, that I don't believe, that I don't agree theologically with. Uh, but I'm trying to evangelize them. I'm trying to befriend them. Right now, uh, as I work out, I'm, I'm becoming friends with a, an individual that probably lives a lifestyle that, you know, is wrong. And, but, you know, I'm there to love him in Christ, just as Jesus is doing here at Matthew's house. So this act alone uh, disqualified Jesus in the eyes of the religious leaders. And not only that, but in their mind, it confirmed to them that Jesus certainly was not the Messiah, because this is not how the Messiah would be. He would be ruling and reigning in the temple. He would not be here with a tax collector, with his clan of people as well. Now, notice Jesus' response upon hearing this question that was posed to the disciples. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Notice these words. Listen to these beautiful words that came out of the mouth of Jesus in the context and the environment that's, that's, that, that he's in right now, surrounded by prostitutes, tax collectors, criminals. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, my friends, Jesus humbled himself to reach sinners, to reach people like you and, and people like me. And he extends great compassion and grace as well to the religious leaders. It was another cry that Jesus was making directly to the religious leaders. These are the scribes of the Pharisees. These are the top geniuses, if you will, of the law that were questioning Jesus's motives. So you go from this compassionate call of grace to Matthew to lead him out of a life of guilt and shame and to restore him, to transform his life, to sitting with Matthew's friends that he's associated with. And, and we're told in Mark 2, 15, many were following him. And yet the religious leaders were still bashing his motives and his intent. And that's not all, because now number three in this final section we're going to talk about is a debate over fasting. And this continues on in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, in Mark 2, 18 through 22, in Luke 5, 33 through 39. So I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, all the way through verse 39. It says, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers. Now, Mark 2.18 says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So they are in the process of, of, of fasting. And notice, because of that, it says, And the disciples of John fast often, and they offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Now, notice in Luke 5, verse 34, it says, And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Now you may be thinking, what on earth is Jesus talking about? What kind of response is that? Well, let's put it in perspective in that culture. First, the Pharisees question Jesus' motive with the tax collectors and the sinners. And now the disciples of John question the motives of Jesus' disciples about fasting. So they can't, they can't get a break. Jesus can't get a break. 
His disciples can't get a break. Now, the talk of fasting and wineskins can be very confusing, no question. But let me put it in perspective. John's disciples were probably fasting twice a week. That was an act of religious piety, according to Luke 18, verse 12, okay? So when Jesus responds to their question as to why they're not fasting, rather, you know, his disciples are eating and drinking, to answer the question about fasting, Jesus first compares his kingdom to a banquet. You look back in Matthew 22, verse 2, Isaiah 25, verse 6. Now, the purpose or the heart, if you will, of Jesus' teaching was to offer spiritual joy, not another legality, not another thing that you're kind of restricting yourself from enjoying. Rather, as Jesus is here, they're fellowshipping with him. They're enjoying time with him. Life in Christ is not a funeral, but a feast of celebration. So notice Jesus doesn't attack the very act of one who's committed to fasting because we know that's in his teachings and we know the benefit of fasting from food, from water, or from whatever to focus more intently on hearing from God. We know the value and the importance of that in our prayer life. He's not bashing that. He's not saying don't fast or, or, or fasting is, is for losers. No, he says you don't fast and mourn while the bridegroom is present. You're fellowshipping with them, okay? When someone comes, when someone invites you over to your home and, and they go all out for you and they make your favorite meal, you don't show up and say, oh, you know, I know we scheduled this thing with you guys and thanks for having us, by the way, and things smell great, but I'm fasting. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to abstain. I'm not going to have anything that you made me. That's offensive. That's what Jesus is getting at. See, when he says when the bridegroom is taken away, he's talking about what's going to, what's going to happen to him, the crucifixion. He says, I'm spending time with my disciples and they're spending time with me. You guys are going around requiring them to do things according to your laws, according to your, your edicts. You think that this is drawing them closer to God, but you're drawing them further away. And then he says this, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. See, what Jesus was getting at here was he didn't come to, quote, patch people up, end quote. He came to make people whole again. See, the religious, the Jewish religion had missed the Messiah, which was the old wineskin. And therefore, they couldn't contain the newness of Jesus' gospel message. Otherwise, it would burst. Jesus didn't come to bring new law, but he came to bring new life. Remember John the Baptist, that radical reformer that they called this, uh, this, this madman who eventually was beheaded as a result. You know, people looked at him as this traditionalist, this unorthodox individual, but he came with a message of repentance. And even those religious leaders uh, shortly before Jesus comes on scene, they couldn't even contain what John the Baptist was preaching. Why? Because it was, it was, it was prophetic. He came to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now Jesus is here and he didn't come after John to stabilize Judaism. He came to establish the new covenant with mankind. That's what he's saying to them, my friends. So in closing, I want to challenge you. When you and I look back with the calling of Matthew, I want you to look at your life You may not think you're something special. You may think you have a lot of faults, and you're probably right. I know I have many faults and many things I got to overcome and allow the Holy Spirit to work in me. And in many days, yes, I look more at my sin than how God has forgiven me. 
But you know what? God has called me. He's called me to do His work, and I want to be found faithful to that. How about you? Number two, we need to associate with people that we, you, you and I may not feel comfortable oftentimes to be around. But you know what? we got to get out there because if we're going to share the gospel, we got to get outside the realm of just being with people who are like-minded. And Jesus demonstrated that. He didn't just reach out to Matthew. Think about how much it meant to Matthew that Jesus went over to, the, to his house to have this great feast to be in the company of these people that, you know, obviously the public, the religious leaders um, despise, they look down on. But Jesus did that. So let's go out of our way to reach people um, that are not like us. And finally, let's anticipate the coming of the Lord. Let's fellowship together. Let's celebrate the, the joy that we have in Christ together. And let's make sure that we're not putting things in our life as a Christian that are ultimately going to lead to uh, us falling away from grace. Let's not put legal things in front of us, Not listen, because they're just going to be stumbling blocks. They're just going to be barriers that you and I cannot accomplish. It's not a checklist. The Christian life is not a checklist. The Christian life is to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. So my friends, I love you. Thanks for tuning in, and I will see you on the next podcast. God bless you. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.